am going to the 27th chapter of the book of Matthew this morning and uh, going to do my best to not be lengthy this morning, but I, uh, I do want to make mention of this. Beginning in verse number 45, Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 45 and reading down through verse number 56. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all of the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. and, And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and Coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. I'm going to take my text from verse number 46 and verse number 50. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost. I'm going to take those two uh, verses and preach to you for for a few moments on, on the subject, the cry of desperation and the cry of victory. The cry of desperation and the cry of victory. God bless you. You may be seated. The time in which Jesus lived was really no different than the time in which we live right now. The Jews were doing everything that they could to... uh, to get rid of him, uh, to uh, do away with him, whatever it took, 
they were obviously willing to go to, to no end to see that this man, Jesus, was uh, once and for all silenced. He had, uh, he had preached to them. He had demonstrated His power through miracles. Uh, he had taught them. He had rebuked them. He had confronted them. And all of these things the, the Jews did not appreciate. The, the Greeks were somewhat ambivalent about him. Uh, you know, they, they were not really concerned about uh, Jesus Christ nor the effect that he was having, you know, in the, the nation of Israel. In fact, when they brought him to Pilate, uh, it, it appears that, that Pilate did everything that he possibly could to give Jesus a way out of what the, the Jews were asking to be done because... When Peter or, or when Pilate approached uh, the Jews concerning him, he asked the question, "What do you want me to do with him?" In other words, again, there was a tone of ambivalence there. It really, it really mattered not one way or the other to Pilate. The only thing he was trying to do was uh, was quell the uh, the the passion of the Jews because. If there were uprisings, you know, among the Jews that created conflict, then Pilate himself being the governor would be held accountable for that. So he asked the, 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 uh, the Jews, what do you want me to do with him? And, and they cried, crucify him. And, and that was their intent. That, that was their mind. Get rid of him. If, if you have to execute him, execute him. Whatever it takes to get rid of him, we're willing to do that. To, to what degree the Jews were willing to, uh, to get rid of Jesus and his effect once and for all is really astounding. And because the, the, the Jews cried out for a murderer and an insurrectionist to, to be released out of prison. It was a custom that time of year that someone would be released from prison. And so they asked for Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was an, ex, was a, ex, uh, was an insurrectionist. Barabbas was not a good man. It would kind of be like, you know, today we, we, we make petitions and we cry against our government for the release of, of someone who has been imprisoned for murdering people. You know, and, and, and you know, sane people look at it and, at that and say, you know, what are you doing? I mean, this... This person has murdered innocent people and yet you are 
You're crying for their release and you're, you're petitioning the government to, to release a murderer and an insurrectionist. Don't you understand that there are chances that he will murder again? And don't, don't you understand that it, it could be, you know, a family member of yours that he kills the next time? That, that proves that the hatred of the Jews for Jesus Christ ran so deep that they would cry for a murderer to be released. But yet it goes beyond that because their cry didn't stop there. Because when they were asked about the blood of Christ, their response was, let His blood be upon us and our children. In other words, what the Jews are, are saying there is if there is going to be any retribution for executing Him, then if, if there is innocent blood there, let, let the effects, let the repercussions, let the penalties of His blood fall upon us and our children. We'll bear the brunt. We'll bear the responsibility of His blood and the shedding of His blood. Just do what it takes to get rid of Him. And you know, and I'm not going to take the time to go into His passion. I preached on that uh, at this season uh, before and I have taken medical reports that doctors have analyzed and looked at what they did to the body of Jesus and, 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 and the, re- the reaction of His body at, at that torture. And, 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 and we've looked at that. But, but they, they did all of that in accordance with what had been prophesied concerning Him. Psalm chapter 62, Isaiah chapter 53 uh, are prophecies concerning what would happen to the flesh of Jesus Christ before His crucifixion, but then, then they crucified Him. They hanged Him on the, on the cross and, and, and there He hung and was ridiculed by those that you know, would, would come by and he was gazed upon and he was mocked at and people walked by and, and, and said he saved others and, and himself he cannot even save. If, if he be the Christ, if he's the Messiah, if he's truly the Son of God, he saved others, let him save himself. And, and so there was further humiliation and further ridicule and and, and shame that was brought about him or, or brought unto him. And, and so, so it was that it, it was at the sixth hour, Matthew said, that things began to dramatically change. Now up until this point in his crucifixion, he, he was crucified, um, you know, at the, uh, at, at the third hour. Of the day at the time of the morning sacrifice, uh, 
He, he, was, he was nailed and he was suspended in between heaven and earth. I think I have uh, illustrated to you in, in the past that you know it, it, was, it, was, it was custom that at the time of the morning sacrifice, the priest uh, it ascended to one of the porticos of the temple and, and he took that, that ram's horn and, 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 he, and, and in the courtyard there was a priest that was standing with the, with, with the, the lamb of sacrifice with a, a knife at its throat. And when that priest began to blow on that ram's horn and, and he blew that long blast and when that blast, the sound of that trumpet had, had, uh, had descended upon the city and had gone its way, then immediately that priest slit the throat of that, of that lamb and caught the blood and used it as a, as a sacrifice and an offering. And, and that's what happened when they crucified Jesus. And when the priest blew that trumpet and that lamb was executed, they suspended him between heaven and earth. So now he's there and he's, he's been hanging and there's been ridicule and, and people mocking him and passing by and, 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 the, and the Roman soldiers sitting there, you know, at the foot of the cross throwing dice for his garments. And all of this has happened for three long hours and he, he, has, he has been suspended and he's gasped for breath and, and he's used his strength to lift himself up to be able to breathe only to sink back down under the weight and the burden of the, of the beating and the ridicule and that his body had, had experienced up to that point in time. And, and so this has transpired for three hours and, and then at the sixth hour, until the ninth hour, things begin to dramatically change. And, and Matthew said that, that at the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all of the land where the sun had been shining, no doubt. Things, things begin to change and, and, and the sun began to hide its face and, and darkness began to roll in and, and for three hours, then darkness is over all of the land. And this, this happens in the span of a, a three hour time. And then Matthew said that at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a, a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And they that heard him and heard his words when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's been a lot of speculation among theologians as to what Jesus is really saying there. Some says that as the third or, or the second person, you know, in the Trinity that he is crying out for God. He's crying for His Father. He is, he is a son that is crying you know, for His Father because at this moment of time, He, he is feeling isolated and, and He feels as if He is just a child with, you know, with His Father withdrawing from Him at that moment of time. But I've 
I don't believe that because there is no second person in a holy trinity because Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. So when he lifted his voice and, and he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to tell you, he, 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 was, not, he was not sensing that, that God hath withdrawn his, his presence from him and that, that God was no longer with him. What, what we have hanging there and, and lifting his voice and crying about being forsaken and why have you forsaken me is a beaten and a bruised and a battered and a mutilated human body that is crying out to the Spirit because the time of death is drawing nigh. And and that flesh and no doubt even the mind of Christ itself is feeling the full weight and the full brunt of the burden of the sin for the entire world that had been placed upon Him. Because when we understand the purpose of the cross... The purpose of Calvary. It was to once and for all pay the penalty of of sin that the law demanded. And and so it wasn't a, a Christ that was feeling the effects of his own sin because he knew no sin. It wasn't a, a, a Christ that was hanging there that was feeling the repercussions of of ill-spoken things that he had spoken in the past because there was no guile that was found in, in his mouth. So what was it then that when Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was it that Jesus was sensing and what was he expressing at that moment of time. I'll tell you what he was feeling. I'll tell you what was going through the mind of Jesus. In spite of all of the beatings, in in spite of the of the lashings of those cat of nine tails that that literally ripped away flesh from his from his skeletal structure. In spite of the crown of thorns that had been ruthlessly placed and planted down upon his head. In spite of the shame that he had experienced above and beyond all of that came the weight of your sin and the weight of my sin and the weight of the sin all the way from the garden uh, with Adam and Eve when, when, when they sinned before God. It started with with Adam. Amen. But I'm going to tell you the weight and the burden of that sin did not stop with Adam and Eve. But it transgressed down through the period of time. It it was the sin of all of Israel when they refused to obey the command of God. It was the sin of all of the nations that God tried to drive out before them 
in the promised land. It was the sin of all of the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Amorites and, and the Canaanites and the Hittites. And, and on down through the pages of time, it was the sin of you and it was the sin of me. It was the sin of our children and of our grandchildren. But the burden of that sin did not stop there. That burden of sin was the burden a sin of every man and woman that will ever be born on the face of this earth. That's what he was feeling. That was the burden. That was the pressure. That, that, was, that was what Jesus was sensing. And just prior to the moment of death, he felt the weight of the burden of the sin of the entire world. Amen. Can you imagine that? No, you cannot imagine that. You can imagine feeling the burden and the weight of your sin and your transgression. We, we know how that feels when we violate the command of God and the Word of God and, and the law of God that's written on our hearts. We feel that contrition. We feel that burden. We feel that weightiness. We feel that heaviness. And oh, how it gets heavy sometimes. Just my own failures and, and, my, my, and reflecting on the sin of the past and my own failures. You know how weight and how, how heavy of a burden that feels. And, and it's only my sin. You know, because the Bible tells me that I'm only responsible for my sin. I'm not responsible for the sin of my dad or my granddad. My children are not responsible for my sin. My grandchildren are not responsible for, for my sins. Now, there's things that can happen that, that they can they can certainly experience some effects of my sin, but they're not responsible for it. They're responsible for their own sin. And I'm responsible for my sin. And we know how that feels and the weight and the burden of it. But just imagine, just imagine coming through all of the passion of Jesus Christ and, and, and feeling the weight of that and the, and, and the convulsions of His body as it's reacting to everything up to this point in time. And, and then on top of all of that, feeling the weight and the responsibility and, and the shame of every sin that could ever be committed by anybody on the face of this earth throughout the ages of time. And then maybe you can kind of get a little bit of understanding of why Jesus would lift His voice in that cry of desperation saying, My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't that his flesh had been forsaken. His flesh was the fulfillment of the penalty of the law. It wasn't that God had isolated him. Because what he was doing was the will of God. It, what he was doing was fulfilling the purpose of why he came to begin with. Amen. From the moment that 
that the angel of the Lord visited his mother and said, you're going to be with the, with the child. And, and, and she said, Lord, let it be. You know, whatever it is, let, let it be. And, and then the angel appears to Joseph and, and he said, Mary's going to bring forth a son and you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, without him experiencing what he experienced and that cry of desperation that ascends upward. Amen. There is no there is no forgiveness of sin. The Bible tells us very emphatically without the shedding of blood there is no repentance of sin. He had to do it. He had to be suspended. He had to shed his blood. He had to go through it. Because without it, there's no hope for you and I today. So when he cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He's not crying for a a God to come and help him. A God to come and save him. He was misunderstood even in his cry of desperation. And the cry of feeling the weight and the burden of sin. Some that stood by there said when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. And then immediately one of them ran, took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. And one gospel writer said that he refused it because that was... That was like a painkiller. That sour wine and, and, and mixed with things was like a, like a painkiller. It would ease some of the pain. And, and, and that, that wasn't why he was hanging. Amen. It was, it was the will of God that he feel every pain. It was the will of God that every ounce of blood that he shed be shed. Why? Because he came for a reason. He came for a purpose. In, in effect, he was born to die. One song said, he was he, he was born to die that I might live. And when he cried, my God, my God, that cry of desperation was the weakness of that flesh that feels the full burden of sin of the entire world. I cannot even imagine. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what he felt. I cannot imagine the burden that was on him at that particular time. You know, it's one thing to experience pain physically. But it's totally something else to experience pain mentally and psychologically. I've heard people say the mental anguish and the psychological uh, anguishes that that men and women can experience is, you know, it goes greater than just the physical pain, you know, that, that we can tolerate. And I've heard people talk about pain, and it's, it, it's in, in bad situations, in, in, in situations of abuses. And, and I, I've, I've seen court cases where, you know, people have testified to, you know, to, to physical and, and sexual abuse and, and, and the pain that's inflicted only to be asked, 
You know, how, how, how did you deal with that pain? And I, I've heard people say, well, I just, I, I had to get, I just had to, to, to tune it out. I just, you know, I've heard people say, well, I, you know, I would go to a place in my mind. I would go to a certain place in my mind and, and I would not feel any pain. But can I tell you something? Even though there may be that place in, in human uh, psyche, psychologically, Jesus, I don't believe, ever went to that place. Be- because He felt every strike. He felt every wound. He felt every time that back would, was lifted and raised and sank down on, on that rough timber, a man that held him suspended between heaven and earth. I believe that he felt every emotional pain as a result of sin. Even though he knew no sin that had to come upon him. So I don't believe that there was that place that people talk about going to that Jesus went to to block out the pain because he felt the despair. He felt the loneliness. He felt the Isolation hits the cry. Why have you forsaken me? He's calling for Elijah. Somebody feels a sponge with sour wine tries to give it to him. and Somebody else says, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah is going to come and save him. Elijah, they believed him. Jesus, they refused to believe in. Elijah was a recognized prophet of God in their eyes and their writings. But Jesus Christ was nothing but an imposter. He was one who claimed to be king of the Jews. So leave him alone. Don't give him anything that's going to aid in his suffering. Let's just look and see if Elijah will come to save him. That was after the darkness fell. That was, that was as a result of his cry of, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That cry of despair. The rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And then at some point in time, three hours after darkness settled on the face of the earth, and after after the cry of desperation, and, and somewhere across the valley in the city of Jerusalem. It's the ninth hour and the priest is getting ready again. And and the priest ascends to the portico of the temple with that ram's horn and in the courtyard there's another priest that he's standing there with the evening sacrifice and the knife is at the throat and at the right time the priest lifts that ram's horn to his lips and he begins that long Last again, and it reverberates over the city of Jerusalem. And when that sound dies, there's the execution of that lamb again. That blood begins to flow, and then that sacrifice, that ritual. But outside of the walls of the city of Jerusalem, across the valley. On a hill that in the Hebrew is called the place of the skull. 
there's another lamb then that's being offered as a sacrifice and at the ninth hour at the precise moment that that knife sliced the throat of that lamb Jesus utters another cry and this time it's not a cry of despair but it's a cry of victory Matthew didn't record the words of Jesus in this instance. Other gospel writers took up the pen and and recorded. But it was at the ninth hour. Again, when that knife slit the throat of that lamb at that precise moment, Jesus lifted up His voice and shouted, It is finished! And then the Bible said, He yielded up his spirit. Nobody took his life from him. He gave his life as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And he himself yielded up his own spirit after he cried, It's done! It's over with! It's finished! What is it, Jesus, that is finished? The sacrifice for sin. It's done. No more lambs. No more bulls. No more goats. No more turtle doves. No more offering of sweet smelling savors. It's done. It's over. Once and for all, it is finished. And at that very moment of time, can you imagine the priest that is inside of the holy place and he's offering up frankincense and sweet smelling spices on the altar of incense which backs up to the veil separating the holy place from the most holy place. Can you imagine after the, after the, the, the voice of Jesus dies across that dark expanse of land when He shouted, It is finished. And immediately graves begin to burst open and the saints, some saints that, that had died previously begin to come out of their graves and walk around in the city and look around. Can, can, can I tell you? Can I get you to go with me in your imagination right now and try to experience what the Jews in Jerusalem were experiencing at that time? Hey, hey, there's Brother John. I thought John died three years ago and now he's up walking. That is John. He's... Saints of God begin to come out of their graves and walk around. At that moment of time, a great earthquake split the rocks. At that moment of time, the priest is in the holy place sprinkling incense on the altar of incense. And then all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. While he's standing in front of that altar of incense, starting at the very top, that veil that history says was about four inches thick of woven material. That veil was split and that rip started at the top and it went all the way to the bottom. Can you imagine being a priest in the most holy place? 
when that happens, because there was a man outside the walls of the city across the valley that was hanging suspended between heaven and earth on a cross. A, a, a method of Roman execution and cruelty that lifted his voice in a shout of victory and said, It is done. What is it? Now, because that veil has been split from top to bottom and it exposed the most holy place, that, prince, that, that priest that's offering incense on that altar of incense, he sees something in there he's never seen before in his life. Because that priest, that priest had never been behind the veil. It was only the high priest on one day of year, on the day of atonement, that could go behind the veil and offer a sacrifice on that mercy seat. So all of a sudden, the priest that never seen behind the veil, now that veil has been split in two, and that priest is, is viewing things that he has never viewed in his entire life. What, what was that? When, when Jesus was hanging across the valley, and he lifted his voice in the middle of darkness, and he shouted, it is finished. And that, tip, that veil was split. What that saying is now, I don't need a priest to offer sacrifice for my sin. Amen. I can access the direct presence of God for myself. I can come into the presence of God for my own self. Uh, Brother Tim, I can approach him. I can, I can bring to Him offerings, amen, that are sacrifices of praise that is, the, that is the, the, the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto His name. I can do that for myself. I don't need a priest. I don't need another man. I don't need another individual to go in the presence of God for me. With that voice, when that cry of victory shouted, it is done. It's over. It's finished. Those words gave you personal access to the presence of the God that we serve for your own self. Amen. That's what it all means. We don't come dragging bulls and goats around here this morning to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. We come in here and we lift up our voices in praise and worship. Amen. That's our sacrifice. That's our sacrifice. I'm offering to Him. I'm offering to Him. Why? Because I can come in His presence for myself. I don't need to bring some animal or some kind of offering and send a priest into the presence of God to minister for me. I can minister before Him on my own. Amen. Amen. I'm talking about the cry of desperation and the cry of victory. Victory over the penalty of sin. So ultimately, it see it goes beyond just the offering of sacrifice of bulls and goats on the on Passover and on the Day of Atonement and all of those those special holy days. It it it, it goes it goes really beyond that. It goes beyond the sacrifices because see here now now is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. 
See, because Jesus cried that cry of victory, and He said, it is finished. I'm going to tell you something. The dominion of sin over your life can once and for all be banished. Hallelujah. Amen? It can be done. See, that wasn't under the old covenant. You know, when they, on the day of atonement, when that high priest entered into to the most holy place and he sprinkled the blood of that atoning lamb on the altar of, or on the, on, on the mercy seat and, 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 and he sprinkled it around that altar seven different times and, and, and as an atonement. See, the best that that did was push the sins of the nation ahead for another year here on the next day of atonement. But I'm going to tell you, now because there was a cry of victory on the cross of Calvary, I can come into the presence of God and I can repent of my sins. Amen. And they're not going to be pushed ahead for another year or a week or a month. Amen. They're once and for all eradicated from my life. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to worry that to next year. I've got to do this all over again. I can get it done once and for all. Because there was somebody who cried, it is finished. It's done. It's over. You don't have to live under sin any longer. Oh, do we, do we fail God? Oh, as long as you're breathing... You're going to fail God in some capacity. I'm not talking about living in sin. I'm talking about sometimes we're just going to have a, have a lapse. There's a difference. I'm going to have a lapse. But when I have that lapse, I come to Him in boldness. Because His Word tells me to enter boldly to the throne of grace. What are you going to find there? What are you going to find when you get there? The Bible said you're going to find help in a time of trouble. I'm in trouble because I failed. I slipped up this week. I need your help. The Bible said I'm going to find grace. I'm going to find grace to help. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Amen. That grace of God. So then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks split and the graves were open. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves. After His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I'd, I'd like to have been... I'd like to have been a fly on a wall somewhere seeing these things happen like this. So I'm going to tell you something. If these events that are recorded in the book of Matthew was not enough to wake up the Jews as to the reality of who Jesus Christ is, it's no wonder that the veil covers their eyes, Paul said, even to this day. So, when, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, Matthew said they feared greatly. 
And they came to, to a revelation. And they said, truly, truly, this was. You know what they're saying? This man is who he said he was. We, we heard him preach and we didn't believe. We, we saw the things that he did and we didn't believe. We, we, we followed him around and observed and we still didn't believe. But after seeing all of these things that has happened, you know what? This man really was who he said he was. Truly he was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee that had ministered to Him were there. And they were looking on from afar among whom were Mary Magdalene, that harlot that the, that the Bible says cast seven demons out of her. She was a harlot. But after Jesus miraculously helped her she was one of those women that Matthew said followed him and ministered to him. She was there. Just, just an old harlot. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. You know, James had already been executed because of who was hanging on the cross. Mary, you know, could have said, that's it, I've lost one of my boys to Him into believing in Him. I don't intend to lose another to believing in Him. So even after James had been executed by the sword, Matthew said, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, she was there watching and the mother of Zebedee's son, James and, 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 and John. She was there as well. Standing afar off, watching. They heard the cry of despair. But they also heard the cry of victory. As well. Because they experienced the same things that the centurion and those that were guarding Jesus experienced. They already had a revelation of who He is. The centurion and the other soldiers came to that revelation when they heard the cry of victory and they experienced all of these other things that Matthew said. They come to the conclusion this man really is who he said he is. I am thankful today Amen. for both cries. Amen. I'm thankful for both cries. I'm thankful for the cry of despair because I recognize it is a lamb that is feeling the full weight and burden of things that he never 
did in his natural life. He's feeling the full weight of murders he never committed. Of adulteries he never committed. Of any sin he never committed. Because he was without sin. But yet he's feeling the full burden of my sin when he cries, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. But then a few hours later, a few minutes later, he feels the release of that burden when he utters that cry of victory and says, It is finished. It's done. It's over. So I'm thankful for both cries today because one cry paid for my sin. The other cry released me from the dominion of sin in my life. So I'm thankful for the cry of desperation and I'm thankful for the cry of victory today. Aren't you? Amen. Aren't you? Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand this morning together.